You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to www.3cr.org.au. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. Listening to 3CR, my name is Jackson. That is the sound of Laraji, and I can only bliss out for days. It's a little bit ironic considering the state of Australia right now with coronavirus looming on the horizon. You are tuned in to Uprise Radio here on 3CR. It's a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and today I'm joined on the phone because of this outbreak, because our caution is the better part of Valor. I'm joined on the phone by my co-host, James. Good afternoon, James. Good afternoon, Jackson. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Um, yes, not to be worried, but just a little bit of a cold, so I just thought um, best to be safe. And I think, yeah, we are going to talk a bit about the um, the virus, but also, um, you know, we'll talk a bit about some other things as well, because the world still turns. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the kind of weaknesses of the endless 20, 24-hour news cycle is that, you know, certain issues or events just come to dominate every piece of talk back. And, you know, I was talking to the current affairs coordinator here at 3CR, Gab Reed, today, and she was like, I'm looking for stories not about corona. And we are going to talk a bit about that today. We're going to be joined in the studio uh, by Sean Kenny, who's a campaign coordinator for the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And he had a personal experience recently with that draconian uh, infrastructure of the, um, the you know the job service providers and work for the dole and mutual obligations, which you know touches on some issues around privacy. And of course, in these extreme times, you know you do get a lot of pressure from government to kind of ramp up extreme powers. You know, there's been a, a declaration of uh, a state of emergency here in Victoria, which has given police new powers, which of course they say they don't want to use. But you know, I just I just find you know from a geopolitical perspective even like all of the bans on movement and you know more draconian border measures like i hope that these things are rolled back as quickly as they've been rolled in what's what's your opinion on that james yeah it is interesting because we have spent a lot of our time on um this show and previously on breakfast talking about i guess similar measures that come in for different reasons and um you know perhaps highlighting some of the dangers with that and some of our um apprehension and, and, you know, up to real disgust at how 
some of the, you know, across from the Andrews government, you know, non-lethal uh, weaponry to, you know, all kinds of things globally as well. But but I think, you know, in this instance, it's certainly something that is really needed, um, not across the whole thing, but, you know, the freedom of movement restrictions, and I think, you know, they're things that are, are understandable. Um, some of the police powers and certainly some of the things that people might have to do to still receive payments from things like Centrelink or that, that you know, they're not necessary, I don't think. Yeah, obviously one big discussion point has been about schools and, you know, whether to send children to school. You know, there's a lot of, seems to be a lot of um, different information about what role children play in spreading the virus and whether they're safer kind of contained at a school or in their own home. There is a kind of sensation here in Australia, there's something that you mentioned the other day we were talking, that there's like a tendency from government to kind of outsource responsibility for these personal choices around work and your kids going to school. You know, I understand there's economic reasons, as there always is, as why you wouldn't shut everything down immediately, but... You know, when you see major sporting competitions closing down at an extreme cost, maybe it's time for the government to, to you know, to really uh, enforce, you know, people and children staying home from their normal places. Well, it really, I think that press conference that Morrison gave on Sunday night, besides the fact that he either needs to learn how to speak correctly or get someone to write his notes properly because it was just a rambling, bumbling mess. Other than that, the actual trying to sift through that to realise what he was actually talking about, it just sounds like real, you know, hardcore neoliberal uh, policies. It's just the idea is that, well, you know, we can do some things, but we're just the government. Everyone else will just, you just sort it out. You know, be good Australian, sort it out. Just have a go. That, that's the message of, from Morrison on Sunday, and that seems to be continuing. I, I strongly think that um, schools and other things do need to close down. I think, if anything, it, what the, this health crisis is highlighting is the real problems that many people have been arguing are problems of capitalism. And if we had a better system, we would be able to provide these kind of solutions much more easily. It doesn't have to be a fixed kind of thing. You know, if there are people that, you know, work in the health sector or things like that, you know, perhaps there can be an alternative kind of arrangement with, you know, some some children being in school or. Uh, a different type of um, building or whatever, and with some staff that could, as long as they're not sick, you know, they can teach, you know, smaller class sizes and things like that. That could work where other children are able to go and be at home or, you know, that kind of thing. I Yeah. Yeah. I think like one thing we've seen overseas, which a number of people arriving recently in Australia have been really surprised by is the total absence of temperature checks at like, you know, large shopping centres and airports and schools, you know, just as a, I know that's been quite successful in Korea and Singapore, you know, just to get a quick indication of whether anyone is coming down with anything and advise them not to enter spaces. And there really hasn't been that rolled out here. Maybe we'll see it in the coming days. I think there is a balance as well between, um, you know, being uh, at, uh, precautious and and um, assertive and avoiding panic. You know some of the scenes we've already seen in supermarkets. You know I saw uh, people sitting on the shelves waiting for things to be delivered in my local supermarket the other day. I mean all canned goods gone. I mean and this is really early stages. You know there's a lot of things with local supply chains, so it really is panic buying. And I think sadly the government hasn't done a lot to uh, neuter that uh, because they're probably really looking for economic stimulus as well at this time. So there's all of those things being balanced. But um, I think it's probably a good time talking about the impacts this is going to have on different uh, aspects of the community. So 
obviously everyone's talking about coronavirus as a way and a key concern is how the virus is going to impact those people worse impacted in in this unequal society that we live in which you've just touched on james so things like elderly people the working poor the unemployed disabled those living on low incomes those in insecure housing so i thought it'd be a good idea to get someone in who represents quite a few of those people um so we're joined here in the studio by sean kenny who as i mentioned before is a Australian Unemployed Workers' Union Campaign Coordinator. Uh, thanks heaps for joining us. Hello. So, first of all, can you kind of explain this? It's been in the news recently that the mutual obligation system will not be suspended as a result of coronavirus. Can you talk about the mutual obligation system and how maintaining it will put uh, unemployed people or underemployed people at risk? Yeah, sure. So, mutual obligation is... The system under which unemployed people who interact um, with an employment services provider, if usually on Newstart, um, need to undertake certain activities to receive their payments. Um, so one of those activities is your usual monthly, weekly, fortnightly appointment with your JSP, where you come in, talk about what jobs you're applying for, etc., etc. But it can also include work for the dole is a mutual obligation requirement. Um, it can include going to um, trainings and sort of pre-employment info sessions. Um, and a lot of these are very public, especially in case of work for the doll. Um, a lot of that is in shop fronts and um, doing work in group settings um, that isn't effective, we believe, in the first place, um, but is especially unnecessary right now. Um, so the union strongly believes all mutual obligations should be suspended at this time. So the Work for the Dole scheme is a controversial scheme. I mean, to your mind, putting coronavirus aside for a moment, does the scheme help people get into more long-term work? Does it, is it useful work that they're doing? And what kind of remuneration are workers getting for the work that they're asked to do in the Work for the Dole scheme? So I have actually done Work for the Dole in the past. Um, it, I was at a, a Salvo's, um, and for the most part, I spent eight hours a day. They gave me two shelves and I shuffled, made, made sure everything was arranged correctly on those shelves for eight, eight hours. So it wasn't a useful, um, way to spend my time. And, um, it had very significant, um, negative effects on my mental health. Uh, and I think this is a very common story. Um, I, there's quite good statistics to show that, you know, work for the doll doesn't doesn't help people find work for the most part because it's it's you're going to somewhere to do busy work usually. And I haven't got my Salvo's experience on my resume, and I say that's a I would also say that's a common experience of you don't actually want to put it on your resume because it doesn't show us something useful because employers know exactly what it is if you put it on there anyway. So by busy work, you mean work that just is appearing to look busy for the sake of it? It's, yeah, it's, there's, a, a, a lot of these places are completely overstaffed. They, because if you're on a payment for a certain length of time, you go into the work for the doll period and you have to do um, an activity. It doesn't have to be work for the doll, but providers and the work for the doll providers prefer it because they get paid um, money for doing it. Um, so there's incentive for them to take on more people than they have work for. Mm. 
Yeah, it's interesting. That, Sorry, go ahead, James. That it's highlighted, that you're highlighting there that, you know, the real lack of kind of productive kind of jobs anyway from the Work for Doll scheme. Obviously, a lot of people are losing their jobs or going to lose their jobs through the um, COVID-19 pandemic at the moment. How do you see, you know, that? surely that system is going to be completely overwhelmed? It's, I think a large parts of our social security system are going to be overwhelmed and a lot of the punitive aspects of it are quite work intensive. Um, I don't know how employment service providers are going to be able to take on much larger caseloads and that sort of thing. Um, they're already not very effective. Um, and then when they increasingly have people from who, who may have been have a history of bit more secure employment, we'll be expecting something different um, than people who come from insecure work backgrounds or have interacted with the system in the past, which makes up a lot of the current. Absolutely. I think anyone who's interacted with the Centrelink system will have extreme doubts about the system's ability to intake a whole lot more clients and find work for them. Uh, I think it's really interesting what you're talking about, the kind of uselessness and anti-productive um, elements of work for the doll as one part of the mutual obligations. I mean, I know you had an experience recently because I was following it on Twitter, Sean, uh, where you were placed in a training program as part of your mutual obligations, which also means I think listeners understand if you don't do these mutual obligations, you do receive demerit points and your payment, which for many people is you know the payment that's keeping them housed or keeping them fed, is, is under risk. Uh, and there's multiple layers of subcontractors, you know, each one, I think you described it online as each one, you know, really grifting off the government, you know, employment agencies, uh, consultants delivering training programs that don't really lead to any job. And this is a time where we desperately actually need work done around clean energy and transport. You know, there is opportunities for work for the dole or government work to be much more beneficial. Can you just take us through your experience, though, and the criticisms you made of it online and what the results of that were? Um, yeah, so this was an interesting one and I think very emblematic of how work is in Australia right now, especially at this lowest end, I guess, of the job market. Um, I, My job service provider sent me to do an info session, um, which is, in fact, a group interview um, for a job at Serco, um, working in customer support for people on Centrelink. So Serco have the contract from Centrelink to run the majority of customer support now on Centrelink. Um, so I was successful through the group interview session. And after that, I had to do um, a three-day training course for the interview with Serco. Um, Sorry, that, just to qualify, that's being trained for three days just to do an interview, not he, to do a job. Yes, it, if it wasn't pre-employment training, it was pre-interview training um, where they run you through how to be successful in this specific interview. Um, so the job service provider had sent um, us to do this course through IPA Recruitment, who are a private recruitment agency. The recruitment agency for this three-day course had a consultant uh, running it. Um, and I sort of posted about this relationship that um, I was doing through a privatized employment services provider going to a different private recruitment company who hired a consultant so that I could get a job for an outsourced government contract um, and that I thought this was a bit ridiculous and that I wasn't a big fan of the three days of pre-interview training. Um, 
and the, yeah. the irony is, as if I'm right as well, Sean, the job that you were interviewing for is to be someone who deals with the increase in people who need Centrelink. So Centrelink need to hire more staff. Correct. Correct. Yes. Right now, you would think that through the the years that you've been unemployed and going through job service prize, they would have a reasonable idea based on your resume and your personal interactions whether you would be a suitable person to advise people within the system. Surely there's a quicker, more cost-effective way to place the long-term unemployed working in the unemployment agency. Can you can you see the, the kind of point I'm making there? It's Yeah, it's ridiculous, but I, I think this is capitalism working as it likes to work. Um, especially this sort of late capitalist era where a lot of it is finding ways to grift the government out of money on these subcontracted um, expeditions. Yeah, and then you get these horrible narratives about government being terrible at running anything because they bleed money to all of these grifters. But, I mean, the concern is that the complaints that you made, valid complaints, were monitored by the recruitment agency? Yeah, so I have a private Twitter account, which, to be clear, doesn't have my name on it. Um, and I'd made some complaints that included the words IPA recruitment where I specifically just went up through what I just said about the relationship between the different contractors and the government. Um, and so I was meant to be doing a three-day course. On the end of the first day, I get a call from the boss's boss um, is how it was given to me on the phone. Um, and she uh, wanted to ask some questions about how I was finding the course. Um, I said... I found it interesting, um, but not perhaps super useful. And she's like, well, I think you need to expand on this more and et cetera, et cetera. Um, eventually ending in her um, saying if I continued to post anything on Twitter that she thought was um, abusive or incorrect, that she would take further legal action against me. So she essentially threatened you with legal action if you continue to criticise the compulsory course that you're attending. Yes. And is this type of surveillance common amongst your members as they move through, um, you know, the kind of the job seeker infrastructure? Um, sort of. Uh, this is a first for me. And I will say I wasn't expecting it at all um, when I got the call. Um, it's We find it's common for us in the union. I mean, Jeremy Pox in our comms, um, person who's quite big on Twitter is sort of continually getting in trouble for his posts. Um, but yeah, this is a new one for me. Mm. I'm just going to take a little break, play a few announcements, and we'll come back and continue to talk about the impact that coronavirus is having on uh, the under and unemployed. Uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Uprise Radio on 3CR. Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam mine, there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kulta, and it's not so sleepy anymore. The old frog lizard may really know that the mining company's gotta go. The lizard returns protestable 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of Autonomous Zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. 
Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. Viruses like flu and coronavirus spread when tiny droplets from coughs and sneezes land on surfaces that others touch. You can help reduce this risk by coughing or sneezing into your elbow or upper arm. Or use a tissue and put the tissue in the bin straight after. Then wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Together, we can help stop the spread and stay healthy. Visit health.gov.au to learn more. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. 3CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering? Doing a reception shift? Getting a program on air? Training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Yes, you are listening to 3CR and very, uh, I must say, a little surprising there to hear that the Australian government is now a 3CR supporter. Did you, are you aware of that, James? I'm sure, you know, they'll support all good art and, um, you know, local community projects, don't they? Oh, absolutely. 100% support from them at all times. We are in the studio right now with Sean Kenny, who is from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And I know the union in the middle of this outbreak is really keen on getting those mutual obligations suspended, which the government has just announced that they will not do. Can you tell me a bit about how that will impact particularly Australian, you know, vulnerable Australians in regional communities like uh, the Aboriginal population, for example? Um, yeah, it's... So just today we've received some information that the department isn't sending its staff to go to CDP sites, and CDP is the Country Development Program, which is basically work for the dull, except more punitive, and targeted purely at um, Indigenous communities. Um, and so the department isn't sending its staff out to these sites um, for reasons of the coronavirus, yet at the same time uh, isn't suspending them, which we find to be you know, hypocritical and very problematic. Um, yeah. yeah, but if these spaces aren't safe for staff, why are they safe for job seekers? Definitely. Um, it's, the CDP is one of the most truly terrible programs within our pretty terrible welfare state. Um, yeah, it shouldn't be going right now. So the Unemployed Workers Union is experiencing, a, I imagine, a really sustained period of growth with all the moving of manufacturing offshore, the closing down of the auto industry, you know, the the, the slow closing down, hopefully, of, of the fossil fuels in, industry. But obviously that creates a lot more unemployed workers. I mean, I think recent statistics say there's 15, um, 15 applicants for every full-time job in Australia. Are you thinking about kind of representing those former workers, you know, who, are re- who need to be retrained and redeployed? Is that part of what you're um, kind of organization is looking to do in the in the near future um yeah a a big part of what we're doing is while we have our advocacy side um which is about 
helping people navigate through the system as it is. Um, sort of my side and the communication side is it in large part about imagining how we could do things better. Um, what steps do we need to take to make jobs again? Um, so we're big proponents of a job guarantee um, that's you know based on doing socially useful work, getting people um, back, being paid by the government to do the things that we can all see need to be done, especially in regards to a green energy transition and these sort of um, issues. So would you be talking with other unions that have been heavily heavily hit by the changes in the economy, you know, um, maybe the ETU or the CFMEU, you know, these areas that are changing rapidly and this idea of a, of a, of a jobs guarantee or, you know? It's, yeah, it's just taking off at the moment. Um, we've got a lot to thank, I guess, from the Bernie Sanders campaign in the US because that's been a keystone there that it's helped build some enthusiasm here, but it's still very much in the early stages. And um, in the talks we've had with people from the various parties and unions, like there's still some work to be done, um, but I, something has to happen. And I think this is uh, maybe easier to sell than a lot of the other options. The Green New Deal, for example? Well, we see it as sort of in the Sanders model, like the job guarantee is the keystone in the Green New Deal, like it's what makes it possible. Mm. Um, so we have the Greens now talking about Green New Deal, um, but we would like to see them include a job guarantee in their policy framework. And yeah, that, uh, Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, James. Go ahead, mate. Talk up yeah, because it's a bit, bit crackly. Talk up a bit. Uh, that's it. Yeah, there, I think there are some issues to kind of work through that might need a bit more time with the Green New Deal. But I, I was wondering yeah, about the, um, you know, I think this pandemic has kind of highlighted some of the issues with having, for instance, all our manufacturing and things overseas and, you know, not to um, have a, you know, not to view that. I think sometimes there's been a bit of a blurred line about messaging around that um, not to be a, discriminating against people in Australia or necessarily not being not concerned about manufacturing overseas. But it, this could be a really important time, you know, perhaps in six months or, you know, now um, within that time frame to kind of highlight a need to have a campaign around having more manufacturing jobs in Australia and things like that. Is that something you think that could tie in with what you're talking about there? Uh, definitely. Uh, it's, I think, manufacturing, especially when it comes to green energy, like it, it can only be a growth market and it makes sense to build it here. If, I mean, if we want to take it seriously, we need to be um, doing it here, repurposing some of the factories that already exist um, and, yeah, bringing jobs back especially into those regional communities. Yeah, and I think all the runs on, you know, central items, the panic that people have about supply change and things could be solved by, by, by more localised economies. Look, it's an interesting conversation. We touched on all the things. Thanks heaps for joining us, Sean. We've actually run out of time for this episode of Uprise Radio. Uh, we're going to leave you with a, a cracking tune from REM. Good tip, James. Uh, this is REM with the end of the world as we know it. Thanks, James. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn world to its own needs. Dummy, serve your own needs. Feed it up an ox. Speak grunt. No street. The ladder starts to clatter with fear. Fight down. High wire in a fire. Represent seven games in a government for hire.
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.